This is the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology, covering industry analysis, data, and market forecasting for quantum technology markets worldwide. Now, here's your host, Christopher Bishop. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Quantum Tech Pod. I'm delighted that you're listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, depending on where you're sitting on the planet. I'm delighted today to have Paul Lippman joining me as my guest. Paul is the president of quantum computing at Cold Quanta. Prior to joining the company, Paul led multiple successful cybersecurity companies to exit as CEO, and he has extensive experience leading complex global organizations and transforming cultures, driving sales execution, and innovation delivery. Paul has an MBA from Stanford's Graduate School of Business and a BSc in physics from the Victoria University of Manchester in England. In terms of cold quanta, they are the leader in cold cold atom quantum technology, the most scalable, versatile, and commercially viable area of quantum. Cold quanta is dedicated to making quantum matter through the commercial availability of quantum computing, sensing, and networking applications. So welcome, Paul. I'm delighted to have you as my guest today. Great to be here, Chris. Thanks for the invitation. I just want to mention that in preparing for our conversation, I realized we have 80 mutual connections on LinkedIn. No kidding. 80. Uh, That's fantastic. And again, I'm saying I hope we have more after this uh, podcast. So encourage people to connect with us. Great. I always like to start the podcast by asking my guests to share a bit about their quantum journey so that our listeners and especially aspiring quantum workforce members, the workforce of the future, driving the quantum information science uh, model, if you will, have a sense of what people did before they got involved in quantum. So, you know, what did you do before you worked at Cold Quanta? Maybe where you grew up? Uh, Tell us a little bit about your time at university. Maybe share something about the companies that you led to exit or other organizations where you worked. So please give us some backstory. Yeah, great. So my my journey to quantum uh, is probably a bit of an atypical. One, I, I grew up in the UK, uh, although now I live in Silicon Valley, uh, and I was a physics undergrad at Manchester University, as you mentioned, in the late 80s. But I've spent the last 30 years in the software industry, of which the last 15 were in cybersecurity. But throughout that time, I've really remained uh, passionate about physics, kind of as an outsider looking in, if you will. And maybe four or five years ago, I decided, you know, before it's too late, I want to flex my physics muscles again. So I picked up this fantastic series of books by a famous Stanford physics professor, Leonard Susskind. The series is called The Theoretical Minimum. And I kind of got spun up again on classical mechanics and then quantum mechanics. Uh, And then a couple of years ago, I was in London uh, on business. And and between meetings, I uh, just walked into a a very famous bookstore there, the largest bookstore in the world uh, that I like to visit whenever I'm in town, and I just happened to be perusing in the science section and found myself in the computer science area and picked up this book called Quantum Computing with IBM QX. It's, it's written by uh, uh, Dr. Christine Corbett Moran. She's an exoplanet researcher at NASA. Uh, and I was right. flicking through the book, and it was, it was like a revelation. Like, <laughs> I could code in Python in a Jupyter notebook and actually program a real quantum computer. And bear in mind, this was in 2019. So yeah. quantum computer was kind of really uh, under the radar, barely registering. Um, very few people had heard about them. So uh, this was just amazing. And so I purchased the book. I taught myself to program in Kiskit. I got involved in the 
IBM mm. community. Uh, they're building right. this wonderful community of, of interest around quantum computing programming. Uh, got involved in this great group in the UK called Quantum London, which is a group of folks kind of interested in the intersection between business and quantum computing. And at the time, I was CEO of a, of a cybersecurity company. And over the next couple of years, quantum started to become more important in the cyber world, both kind of from the negative perspective in terms of the threat further down the line of maybe breaking RSA encryption, maybe more importantly, right. on the positive side in terms of its implications for secure communications. Uh, sold that company at the end of last year and uh, decided to make the transition full-time into quantum. So coming to Cold Quanta was, for me, in a way, a, a kind of a homecoming uh, of sorts, a return to my uh, my physics roots. So as I say, a bit of an atypical journey, but uh, nevertheless, oh. uh, very glad to be in this industry today. Wow, what a great story. And great that that someone with your uh, areas of expertise and uh, domain experience uh, is involved in the quantum space. I mean, certainly the physics background, but thinking, and maybe we talk at some point about sort of cybersecurity and quantum. That's a whole other, maybe that's our sec, our next podcast. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> All right, that'll be the next topic. So cold quanta has quite a fascinating history. It goes back almost 100 years. I read that it was founded in 2007 based on the discovery in 1924 of something called the Bose-Einstein condensate, BEC. It's the acronym, right? Also known as the fifth form of matter. Can you share with our listeners a bit more about how an innovative tech company like Cold Quanta evolved from this esoteric scientific breakthrough? Sure. Uh, the breakthrough itself uh, was the, the first demonstration uh, of the creation of the Bose-Einstein condensate. And, and very simply described, uh, the, the BEC, as it's called, uh, essentially you cool atoms down very close to absolute zero. And when you do that, they cease to act as individual atoms, hmm. but rather act as a single quantum ground state object. And, and what's really interesting about this is essentially you're getting quantum mechanical behavior at macroscopic scale. Uh, and Dana Anderson, who's the founder of Cold Quanta, was part of the University of Colorado Boulder team that did this groundbreaking work in 1995. And there's very exciting applications today of BECs and some really cutting edge sensor design and also kind of physics research exploration of dark matter, quantum gravity and the like. So Dana founded Cold Quanta to commercialize this cold mm -hmm. atom technology. And that's resulted in the quantum computer that we're developing today, Hilbert, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And actually, interestingly, even we have a, a Bose-Einstein condensate device that was launched to the International Space Station in 2018 and is currently in orbit operating today. Wow. Congratulations on that. Amazing. But to Hilbert, so let's talk a, a, a moment about your um, cloud-based quantum computer. First of all, the name. I realize that you know any company, certainly technology company, um, providing insight into new and innovative approaches needs to call their technology something so it can be branded and marketed and how you communicate right. about it. Um, but I have to ask, first of all, wh where does the name Hilbert come from? So uh, David Hilbert was a, a famous German mathematician, uh, late 19th, early 20th century. Uh, and he invented the concept of this infinite dimensional mathematical space called Hilbert space. And that's a fundamentally important concept in, in quantum mechanics and quantum computing theory. So it felt fitting to be naming 
our quantum computer after someone who made such enormous contributions to the field. Wow, what a what a great way to honor the people who've come before us that have you know worked in this space and uh, on whose knowledge we're you know building the next generation of uh, of of knowledge, if you will, and technology. Absolutely. So that's Hilbert. Uh, more importantly, probably, it says on your site that Hilbert's going to deliver 100 qubits in late 2021. And in checking my calendar, that's coming pretty soon. And the target is to be able to deliver over 1,000 qubits by 2024, so in like three years or so, uh, with a solution that provides strong connectivity and fidelity, as well as miniaturization at room temperature without refrigeration. So can you share with our listeners how this will work and what the roadmap might look like? Sure. Uh, so cold quanta, one of the things we're really uh, known for, we're a, a world leader in developing pristine vacuum chambers in a very small footprint. And we right. use those vacuum chambers to trap and then manipulate atoms for a variety of purposes. And in the case of the quantum computer, we're trapping cesium atoms in a 2D grid, a 2D array of, of laser light. So if you think about temperature, think about the air in, in the room that you're sitting in, today, when we talk about the air being warm, we're really talking about the motion of the molecules in the right. air. And in fact, at room temperature, those air molecules are bouncing around at around about 1,000 miles an hour. Mm. So we, we slow the atoms down and essentially do that by trapping them with, with laser light. And we're able to, through a variety of techniques, cool them down to under five microkelvin. So that's five millionths of a degree mm. above absolute zero. But we're doing that without any cryogenics. So the device itself could fit in the palm of your hand at room temperature, but the atoms inside are some of the coldest things in the entire universe. And we then use lasers and microwaves to perform state preparation and gate operations and, and measurements. Uh, and the beauty of this is an inherently scalable approach. The atoms are just a few microns apart in the array. And, and actually in our lab today in Madison, Wisconsin, we're testing 1,000 qubits arrays. Mm. Um, wow. So going from 100 to 1,000. And ultimately, uh, you could fit an array of 100,000 qubits into just a square millimeter. So there's, there's really terrific scalability to this approach of packing these atoms very close together. Uh, wow. The other aspect of the approach that's so powerful is connectivity. So mm. the cesium uh, atom has a single valence electron, a single electron in the, in the outer shell. And it's what's referred to in physics as a Rydberg atom. So we can excite that electron very far from the nucleus into a high principal quantum number. And the physics then enables uh, exquisite control of the quantum state and long distance entanglement. And so this has tremendous benefits in terms of, of gate fidelity uh, and noise. But the first, wow. step, the first step is launching Hilbert uh, later this year, as we've talked about. And, and then ultimately from there, we'll scale to hundreds of qubits and, and thereafter within a few years to thousands of qubits. Wow, so excited to, to be looking, looking for that. Uh, you think by, by end of year, yeah, is there a time frame we should be looking for the press release? Toward, of towards, might... towards the end of this year, as soon as we yeah, have the device right. up and running, we'll be notifying the world. Great, so putting all our listeners, put that on your calendar. Let's say end of uh, the year to be looking for the announcement about Hilbert. Paul, can you talk a little bit about the power of cesium atoms as qubits versus other approaches? Yeah, sure. I, what, what's interesting about the, uh, the approach of using atoms as qubits is atoms are, they're essentially nature's qubit, 
right? Every atom of a particular element is exactly the same. We don't have to manufacture them. We, we essentially get them free and perfect from nature. Uh, and mm. atoms are neutral, so we can pack them incredibly closely together, as I, as I mentioned. So uh, ultimately, this will enable us uh, over time to reduce the form factor down um, to the point where it's eventually rack mountable, right? So if you think about the use cases of a rack mountable million qubit device, oh, you know, think of really? a, a quantum computer on a satellite, for example, or at the edge of the network in a data center, or as mm -hmm. quantum memory in a, in a quantum network, it's, it's really quite profound, right? These are not necessarily massive devices that have to sit in a, a, a climate-controlled data center. And, and I think this is kind of in contrast to, uh, say, the superconducting approach where you're having to manufacture qubits, they, they have defects, and, and a million qubit device would require a, a dilution refrigerator the size of a basketball court. So, of the, the wiring harness alone would be yeah. <laughs> right the, the the wiring harness and, and the technology to do that hasn't even been right. invented yet whereas with, right with <laughs> atoms we can cool these qubits down to micro kelvin three orders of magnitude colder than superconducting but do that at room at room temperature um, yeah. so cesium also the other advantage is um our our states our zero and one state right the, the computational states of the quantum computer we're actually using the uh, atomic clock states of cesium. It's actually mm. the international definition of the second. So it gives mm. us incredibly long coherence times uh, that are something like eight orders of magnitude greater than the gate operation times. So wow. it really provides tremendous stability naturally in the, in the cesium qubit. And as I mentioned before, this, this long-range entanglement, which is really important for building deep circuits, and, and actually critical for quantum error correction. So when we talk about qubit count, ultimately what really matters is how many logical qubits do you have? How many perfect qubits do you have for performing calculations? And, and right. we expect with this long-range connectivity that we can get an order of magnitude improvement in the ratio between physical qubits and, and logical qubits. And that's kind of in contrast, again, in, in superconducting, you have crosstalk becomes a serious issue, and right. many of the superconducting players are having to actually reduce connectivity uh, as they scale. So that becomes uh, more of a challenge to uh, enable these, uh, these very high numbers of logical qubits that are necessary for delivering the kind of business advantage that we've been talking about and that the industry is looking for. Yeah, thank you for sharing that uh, distinction. Very interesting. So we all know there's lots of you know different solutions from in terms of SDKs. I just wanted to get into a pose a tactical question, if you will. Can you give us a sense of what SDKs Hilbert will work with? Sure. Uh, uh, at launch, we'll be offering uh, Kiskit and Circ integration, mm -hmm. uh, and we'll have a standard uh, general gate set. But but actually. One of the interesting aspects of, of our approach is we'll also offer global gates. So we can oh. use microwaves to address all of the qubits uh, in the array simultaneously. And this is very useful. There's a number of uh, really important uh, quantum algorithms, uh, QAOA, which is used for optimization, for example, that involve applying uh, a gate, in, in this case, a Hadamard gate, to all qubits at the beginning and at the end of the circuit. So doing that in a single operation rather than in serial qubit by qubit really reduces the time and, and the noise involved in executing the gate. Um, so that's one of the, the interesting aspects of our particular approach. 
Uh, we'll be offering Hilbert initially through our own cloud platform, and then we're planning to integrate into one or more of the public cloud providers uh, early in 2022. Really? So maybe into the bracket space or? Exactly. Yes. We're yeah. talking to all of the major providers about uh, integration. Yeah. Great. Terrific. So I realize that you're focused on, you know, your area of, uh, of the business is the, the quantum computing space. And, you know, with all due respect, that gets a fair amount of press. But I realize that Colquanta has quite a wide ranging portfolio. And I think our listeners, you know, have a broad interest in quantum related technologies. So I, I read that a week ago or so, uh, your company received a contract from DARPA to develop uh, what you mentioned before, a Rydberg atom based solution uh, around radio frequency sensor system. And I realize it's t- tied to the Department of Defense, so there may be information you can't share, but I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what that solution is and how it might be used. Yeah, so this was announced uh, as part of DARPA's uh, quantum apertures program, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk at a, at a high level without getting into anything um, sensitive. Uh, so the Rydberg atoms I mentioned before have this, this valence electron um, that's excited far from the nucleus, and in the case of the quantum computer, that gives us this capability for the long-range connectivity, which is really important for algorithmic fidelity. Uh, but also, uh, this Rydberg atom acts like a, an antenna that's highly mm. sensitive to electromagnetic fields. So uh, we can use lasers to excite atoms into these Rydberg states um, that are specifically sensitive to certain RF frequency ranges, so essentially tuning the antenna, if you will. Mm. Uh, and what's exciting about this approach is the potential to develop incredibly sensitive and adaptable detectors in a very small and rugged footprint. So the idea with this particular program with DARPA is to develop a sensor that's the size of a sugar cube. So really one essentially centimeter on a side, Uh, highly portable, highly deployable, but that can cover a very wide range of the RF spectrum. So from 10 megahertz, I think, on the low end to 40 gigahertz on the high end in a single sensor system. So the applications in defense, are obviously, for communications and sensing, and that's the, the reason that DARPA is, is so interested in this particular technology. But actually, if you think more broadly, uh, pretty broad commercial applications as well. You know, one of the challenges in 5G is this kind of uh, congestion of the spectrum. So if you have incredibly sensitive sensors you can start to use the spectrum in a much more efficient way. Uh, and then applications as we look kind of further down the road uh, at 6G technologies as well. So this this Rydberg RF sensing technology, I, I think, will revolutionize telecommunications in the years to come. Wow, fascinating. In addition to looking at the portfolio, in addition to what's described on the website as uh, UHV glass cells, trapped ion devices, and cold atom sources, it says a cold quanta offers something called, and I'm quoting, Albert, the quantum matter machine, unquote. So that caught my eye. Can you just tell our listeners briefly what that is exactly, how that ties to the overall portfolio? Yeah. So going back to your, your question before, uh, Chris, about naming, uh, this one should be, uh, should be clear, obviously named after, <laughs> yes. after Albert Einstein. Um, uh-huh. So uh, we have a, a group at uh, cold quanta uh, called the Cold Atom technology group, and they design, develop, and manufacture essentially the picks and shovels of the quantum industry, right? The underlying quantum technologies that enable 
a variety of quantum use cases. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so Albert actually goes back to our founding story. It is a Bose-Einstein condensate machine, and it calls mm-hmm. atoms to just 100 nanokelvin, so 100 billionths of a degree mm-hmm. above absolute mm-hmm. zero. Oh yeah, it's, 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 it's mind-blowing, actually. Oh, the first time I is. saw it, I was, I was really uh, just astounded. And so this enables the, the creation and manipulation of, of a BEC. We, can, we build these for customers who want to have them uh, on-premise. We also offer it as a cloud service, so essentially quantum oh. matter as a service. You can log into the Albert service. You can create a BEC. You can manipulate the BEC. Uh, and so there's exciting use cases there for quantum sensing, quantum measurement, uh, and fundamental physics research as well. That's amazing. I, again, I love the name. Kudos to the uh, branding team at Co-Quantum. Absolutely. The quantum matter machine. Absolutely. A topic that's near and dear to my heart as a nonlinear multimodal careerist is preparing the quantum-ready workforce. And uh, it's a topic that I talk about as often as I can in settings ranging from the Quantum Economic Development Consortium meetings to the Inside Quantum Technology events. And I want to get your take on the challenges facing a company like Co-Quanta in finding talent. So, you know, how do you go about recruiting? I'd, you know, it's obvious the number of people receiving PhDs in physics is a pretty uh, niche uh, group, if you will. Uh, that said, there are other skills, obviously, that are needed to advance the business model uh, marketing, business development, program managers, communications people, and just wondered, you know, how Cole Quanta does that. Insight for our listeners, or, you know, solutions in this space, because I think it's a challenging area and people are still kind of figuring it out. Again, when it, with a technology that's moving and evolving as quickly as quantum. It's, it's a really important question. And I think one of the, the key challenges in the, in the evolution of the quantum industry is the, is the need for developing talent and building the talent pool. And we're actively hiring. I mean, all of the functions you mentioned there, marketing, business development, physics, engineering, we're hiring actively across all functions. Uh, we're at Cole Quanta, I think, very fortunate to have uh, deep relationships with academia. So the relationship I mentioned with the University of Colorado in Boulder, our head office is in Boulder. We have a very deep relationship with the University of Wisconsin in Madison, um, our chief information scientist uh, is based at the university, runs a physics group there. And so this is for us a very important pipeline for trained PhDs and postdoc physicists into the company. I mean, many of the people who are working for us have PhDs that they've earned uh, at Boulder or at uh, Madison. Uh, We also have an an internship program uh, for students um, starting at the undergrad level who come in during the summer or the master's level who come in during the summer and work for us. In fact, we even have one high school kid in the UK working for us this summer. So this is an important part of the, of the training Great. pipeline. Uh, but I think it highlights actually this broader need for quantum education. And I think that has to happen starting in high school, through college, and actually not just in the scientific field, but business yeah. leaders need to understand the, the implications and the potential of this technology. I think there's some great work being done, as you mentioned, by the QEDC. Uh, there's this work that's being done at the governmental level, both in the US and the UK, but, but I think the industry needs a significant increase in, in the talent pool, and that will only come through through education and training. Following on that thread, and as a sort of closing comment, to inspire potential quantum workforce members, I want to give you a moment to just wax philosophic. So any closing comments about 
where quantum computing is headed, why it's exciting, why people should get interested in it, why you're passionate about being involved? I I don't think there's a more exciting field uh, out there today than than quantum computing. I I think for a few different reasons. I I maybe starting with the more uh, kind of maybe tactical, I, I think it provides us with tools that will enable us to tackle some of the most pressing, almost existential challenges of our time, right? If you think about mm-hmm. um, climate change, um, renewable energy, uh, and then the capability and potential of quantum computing to help us develop new materials um, that can affect climate change, maybe even traffic optimization, right, to reduce emissions, uh, optimizing data center usage to reduce uh, energy utilization. There's a whole set of problems in there that I think quantum computing can really help to make an impact on. Um, personally, I'm actually really excited about the potential applications for the understanding of, of our universe. There's some fascinating work being done in black hole simulation, unification theories using quantum computing. But I, I think the real takeaway as I think about it is we're really just beginning. Uh, I don't think we really yeah. yet know the most important and exciting problems um, that quantum computers will help us to solve, right? I mean, it's it's almost like you know the developers of the DEC and VAX machines back in the 1970s could never have foreseen <laughs> right, self-driving cars or protein folding simulations. Um, so yeah. I, I think when we really take a step back, it, it, it's day one in the quantum computing industry. And maybe, Chris, you know, I'll come back in five or 10 years to chat with you and we can marvel about how far we've come as an industry. Oh, certainly. Well, that's great insight. Thank you so much for sharing. Paul. Yeah, I think of the days of the internet, I mean, or even personal computers when ENIAC took up an entire room and now you, Apple Watch, you put it on your wrist and it'll do uh, way more, exponentially more than that device did. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I still have actually in my, my office here, my first computer uh, I bought as a kid, uh, the ZX80. This was in 1980. It had 1K <laughs> of memory. Uh, and uh, I thought it was the most uh, amazing piece of technology, and, you know, look where we are today. Really? No, it's amazing. Paul, thank you very much. My uh, closing, I want to invite people to connect with you on LinkedIn, as per your having given me permission to call that out. So, Paul Lippman, people, please connect. Again, the more we expand and encourage and grow this community, the sooner we'll see the kind of benefits that Paul was describing. So. Want to point listeners to the website, coldquanta.com. Coldquanta has several social media channels as well. They have a LinkedIn group. They have a Twitter handle. There's looks like there's a Clubhouse group, Quantum Revolution group that you can tune into. And there's a YouTube channel. So encourage all our listeners to check those out. I always ask if people are hiring. And certainly, based on Paul's description just now, there's a large list at coldquanta.com slash careers. So That's right. in both Madison and in Boulder. I encourage listeners to take a look. There are lots and lots of opportunities. And as Paul said, this is a very, very exciting space. So lots of chances to do really interesting work that's going to drive not alone science, but the way we work and live. Paul, thank you very much. It was a delight talking with you and I hope to speak to you again. My pleasure, Chris. Great talking with you. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. I hope you're enjoying the Quantum Tech Pod, and we look forward to touching base with you on the next episode. You've been listening to the Quantum Tech Pod, brought to you by Inside Quantum Technology. 
For more information on this episode or other topics relating to quantum technology, visit InsideQuantumTechnology.com.